you, Ryan, for uh, sharing uh, your journey and your story with us. When I was in college, there was a time, I, I think because one of my uh, friends encouraged me to do this, I uh, was praying to God uh, in, in the 1 Corinthians, I think, 13 or 14. He tells us to eagerly desire the greater uh, spiritual gifts. So I started praying for um, great spiritual gifts. I asked the Lord God that he would give me the gift of healing so that when I prayed for people that they would get better. And so I, I asked the Lord for that gift and um, so when someone will come to me and they're like, oh, I'm not feeling well, I get really excited. <laughs> be like, maybe this is like God's way of giving me an opportunity to test this. So uh, I said, hey, can I, can I pray for you? And I would pray for them uh, because no one will deny prayer usually. If they're, they've got an issue, yeah, of course, pray for me. In the event that it works, it works. Nothing, you know, nothing bad could happen, right? So um, usually people didn't get better and not that I knew of, but sometimes they would. Sometimes people would get better. Well, it's not, nothing major. It's not like this guy had like this massive growth on his head and I prayed for him and it shrunk instantaneously. Nothing like that. But people with a stomach ache maybe or people with a headache sometimes would pray for them and they would get better and uh, they would come back and say, oh, you know, that was really uh, great. God answered prayer and so happy and, and things. And I, as the more I uh, have been kind of... Uh, Interacting with people in this way, one of the things that I've, I've recognized, uh, and I think I, I may have shared this in some context before, this is my basic working hypothesis. I realize that a lot of times it's not people that I ask to them, hey, can I pray for you that get better? It's people that come to me and ask, can you pray for me? I've got this illness. Can you pray for me? I think there's something about their asking that shows that they believe that God can heal. Do I believe God can? I absolutely and utterly, completely believe that God can heal. He did in the Bible. He's the same God. He can do that now. I believe that with all of my heart. But I think there's also a very vital connection between the faith of the people and the answers to those prayers. See, Jesus in his biographies, which are the Gospels, talks a lot about faith. Uh, to his disciples, he says things like, y'all don't have enough faith. Oh, you have little faith. And he, there's one point where he says, if I come back a second time, when I come back the second time, will I even find faith on the earth? He's constantly telling people things like that. And then on the other hand, he's also saying, hey, but you know what? If you've got faith, tiniest, tiniest faith, tiniest faith, then you could say to this mountain, go from here to there and it'll move. Seems like the people who ought to have faith, Jesus corrects and says, y'all don't have enough faith. And the people who don't seem to have faith in our eyes, Jesus looks at them and says, they have great faith. So what is it about faith? What does Jesus tell us about faith? Because I think a, a lot of times we have an idea of what faith might be, but who knows? Jesus may look at us and say, no, you've got it all confused. So I want to look, about, uh, look at uh, John chapter 4 and talk about faith as it comes from Jesus' second miraculous sign, the second miracle that Jesus performed. It says so in here that he... At the end of this passage, we're going to look at in John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. It's going to tell us what Jesus' second sign was. First one being turning water into wine. So John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. My hope, my prayer is that at the end of this time, that we have a clear understanding of the faith that Jesus is looking for, the kind of faith that will release us to see the incredible Jesus a little bit more clearly. Okay, so John chapter 4. 
verse 43. This is God's word. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There is a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. This is God's word. Pretty cool. So geography lesson here. You guys may know this. Hopefully a lot of you know this. In the northern part of uh, that Palestinian, that, that, that ancient land, in the northern part was a region called Galilee. Right. Good, 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 good. A few knowing nods. Good. In the southern part was a region called Judea. Good, good. So these are both Jewish territories, Galilee and Judea. Judea, where Jerusalem is, a temple is, where Jesus would end up being crucified. Galilee in the north, Nazareth. Jesus grew up in this place. So Jesus does his first sign in Cana in Galilee. He goes down for the Passover feast to Judea. And in the middle is this non-Jewish area called Samaria, which is the land of the Samaritans. Good. So Jesus starts in Cana in Galilee. He does his first miracle. Ministry begins, goes down to the Passover feast in Jerusalem in Judea. He goes through Samaria where he has a chat with a woman from the area at a well. He talks with her. Her life is changed and she brings revival to an entire little town called Sychar or Sychar, something like that. And then from there, he goes back up to Galilee to the same place where he had done this miraculous sign. And so he is welcomed there. It says they welcomed him. He says a prophet has no honor in his own country. We're going, verse 44 says that. Verse 45 says, but when he gets there, they welcome him. This is not like uh, a welcoming of him. It's a welcoming of we want to see what you have for us to do next. We saw him turn. The place was still buzzing. Because he turned water into wine. Remember, it's just a small town. A lot of people in the village come. So everybody knows the guy who turned water into wine is back. And so all, they're all like, what is he going to do next? Okay, what is the next act in the Jesus show? And they're very excited about it. And they would soon find out as the opportunity arises, a man, a royal official from Capernaum comes 20, 25 miles away, and he's got a son who's about to die. What is it about faith that unlocks the potential for us to see the incredible? The first thing is that faith grows in the soil of desperation. Faith grows 
in the soil of desperation. The people of Capernaum were different than this man. And I'll tell you why. Those people were only there because they wanted to see what Jesus would do next. They saw a sign and they're not there because of a need. They're there because of an itch. Tell you what, faith doesn't grow in the soil of our wants. Yeah, I I want a new car, so I'm going to pray. That's cool. We may want that, but that's not where faith is deepened. Faith grows best, fastest, deepest when we're in a place of need, when we're in a place of desperation. And so here comes this man, 20, 25 miles away, and he comes, and he's got a need. His son is sick, and death is knocking at his doorstep about to take him away. And so he comes. People ask me sometimes, hey, you got three, uh, three children. Do you love one more than the other? I say, what kind of a question is that? Of course I do not. <laughs> but I love each of them with a particular kind of a love, right? Parents, right? Is this right? Yeah, you don't love one more than the other, but you love them with a different kind of a love. Manny is our first, and so she's always going to be my baby. It always going to be my little girl. No matter how big and how old she gets, she's always going to be the one that has melted my heart and will continue to do so. This is Manny. And then there's Elise. <laughs> Baby, she's so cute. She doesn't really talk, but she smiles now. And, and she kicks her legs when she gets excited. And, and she gets happy when you rub her cheeks. And very cute. Oh, she's, she's the literal baby of the family. There's always a special place that the baby has in daddy's heart. <laughs> and then there's Elijah. He's the middle child. And so people always say middle children are a little bit strange. And you could call it what you want. There have been several people who've called Elijah the Sour Patch Kid because sometimes he's sweet and sometimes he's sour. But in general, I think he's sweet. He's a beautiful, beautiful child. And he's special to me because he's my son. He's one of a kind to me. He's my only son. And there's a particular love that I have for him, even in his sour moments, even in those moments when he's so crazy. So the other night, he wasn't being crazy, but he just had a hard time sleeping. And it was late at night. So when he was little, when he was, well, he's, yeah, he's huge now. He's like, massive but when he was littler like this small i would hold him when he was it was time for him to go to sleep and i would sing him a song oh i love you with the love of the lord an old old song sing that song would pray for him then i would sing ten thousand reasons and then i would put him in his crib and he would go to sleep hopefully soon so now that he's bigger, we don't do that because to hold him would be basically like holding myself, and I can't do that. But the other night, he had a hard time sleeping. And so he said, Daddy, I want Daddy, I want Daddy. So I instinctively did what I knew to do. I picked him up and I held him. And the words of those songs started coming to my lips, and I started singing. So he's like, I said, put your head down, put your head on my shoulder, and I'm patting him. Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the beauty of my King. 
Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the beauty of my King. Even when you're sour, even when you're pouting, even when you're kicking, even when you're banging, even when you're biting, I can still see in you the beauty of my King because that's the heart of a father. The heart of a father, the heart of this father in this passage comes beating with a love for his kid, but with a desperate heart because his heart is filled with pain. Right? What was it about this kid? It says in verse uh, in verse 47, this man, uh, verse 46, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. They talk about later, it says in verse 52, the fever that he had. He has a fever. We don't know what his illness is. We don't know what his ailment is. But I was, as I was re- reflecting on this, I was harking back to last year as we went to a primitive village in Ecuador called Dashino that doesn't have te- access to medical uh, resources, doesn't have access to basic medicine. And in this one home, I think they had nine children and five of them died of fevers because they, they couldn't get medicine. They couldn't get Advil. They couldn't get Motrin or whatever it was. And so I think in a similar way, this man's son is sick. But what's different about Dashino and what's different about this man is that this guy has all the resources in the world at his disposal. See, he's a royal official. Literally means he's a king's man. That means Herod was the king, the tetrarch over that area of Galilee, and he was one of the right-hand men of King Herod. So he's got status. He's got prestige. He's got possessions he's got money he's got privilege he's got anything he wants the snap of a finger and he gets he's got access to the best doctors to the best medicine and surely he's called on all of them and nothing has been able to help his son what do you do when nothing works what do you do when everything in the world is still not enough. Maybe this is uh, some of our story. We've got everything, everything in the world. And somehow it's still not enough. What do you do then? What do you do? What does he do when his son cries out, Daddy, I'm sick. I can't take it anymore. What do you do when you've tried everything and nothing seems to work? What does a dad do? What hope does he have? And so he hears that, 25 miles away, that same place where water was turned into wine, there is a man named Jesus. And maybe he hears through the grapevine that this man has done miracles. And so he goes running or on his, or whatever he does, he gets over to Capernaum. You know, they say uh, to, to Cana, they say the saddest thing, the deepest pain in the world, this is a Chinese proverb, is when a white-haired person goes to the funeral of a dark-haired person. There's nothing worse for a parent than sitting before the open casket of a dead child. He's desperate. He's desperate. He makes his way to Capernaum. You see, God's working was that this hardship and this challenge was not meant to harm him, but it was meant to awaken him. You see how this happens, don't you? Everything that he had in the world wasn't working, but everything in the world has a way of dulling our hearts to see our need 
for God, doesn't it? Let me tell you, parents, who have experienced a sick, sick child before, could it be that instead of seeing that sickness as an encumbrance to our already busy and hurried lives, could it be that God is using that sick child to get our attention so that we would turn our eyes upwards to see him? Instead of saying, my life is so crazy, why is she sick again? And yelling and screaming and complaining, maybe God's saying, hey, hey, look up. Because busyness has a way of numbing our hearts from seeing our reality, the reality of our need for God. Doesn't a failed exam or a bad grade on a report card or the loss of a job or an illness have a way of getting our attention to cause us to look up to see God? Could it be that the challenges in your life aren't reasons for us to go, Uh, angry at God, but could it be that if indeed faith grows in the soil of desperation that God is causing us to slow and to lift our eyes upwards to see him? Last night, I got home at about 11 or so from a a meeting with our house church shepherds, and as uh, Olivia and I were chatting, getting ready to uh, just just doing a little bit of stuff on the living room, uh, in the living room, Manny started crying. doesn't usually cry in the middle of the night, but she cried and she said she was sick. And so she was gagging as if she needed to throw up. And so uh, she you know, went in the bathroom with all of them, and she went back into her bed, and, and we prayed for Manny. And in that moment, I felt like that's what God was saying. I know you've got to sleep. I know you've got to be at church in nine hours or whatever it is. But maybe, maybe this is not a distraction from what you need to do, but maybe this is what you need to do. Just lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up. Remember, look, see, be awakened to see more of God. Because you see, faith grows in the soil of desperation. And this is where he was. And so he calls out to God from that place. Here's the first thing that we see about faith. It grows when we're desperate. It grows out of need. The second thing that we see is that faith trusts God even when we don't see a sign from him. It trusts God even when we don't see a sign from him. So here he goes. When this man heard Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. This man does probably for the first time in his life something that he's never done. He begs. A man who spends all of his life looking down on people in that moment of desperation finally looks up. And it takes a humble person a desperate person, a broken person to do that. And so he lifts his eyes upwards. And in response, Jesus says, unless, verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. So this man begs Jesus, heal my son. He's about to die. Jesus looks out beyond him and says, y'all need to see signs and wonders before you believe. So the question is, if that's what the people of Cana, people of Galilee, need in order to believe, they're looking for a sign, is this man the same or is he different? 
The question is, are we the same? Do we need a sign in order for us to believe? And the question, the other question then that it betrays is this. What's the big deal about us seeking signs and miracles? Why is that a bad thing? Why is Jesus speaking against that? His, his reason is simple. Because usually, seeing is not really believing in our world. Now, there's a lot of people who say, you know what, Jesus, if you show me, then I'll believe. But how many times have we seen and not believed? You remember later in John chapter 6, Jesus would take a few pieces of bread and fish and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And yet when it came down to those who actually followed, it was probably uh, a number in the tens, 20s, 30s. They saw, all of them saw that. There's no sleight of hand there, no David Blaine action or David Copperfield, nothing like that. They all saw, yet not many of them believed. Jesus says, listen, the only reason you want to see is not so that you can believe. You just want to see because you want to see. There used to be a store at downtown Disney. Uh, I I forget what it was called, but it was a magic store years ago. And I remember whenever I'd go downtown Disney, I would go to that magic store because I like magic tricks and it's kind of fun. And I liked watching those tricks. And when enough people gathered around, they'd say, you guys want to see a trick? And we'd all be like, yeah, we want to see it. We want to see it. This cat would take like a penny. He would like touch it and it would turn into a dime. He would take a dime, he would touch it, it would turn into a quarter. He'd take a quarter and he would flip it or throw it up in the air and it would turn into a dollar. Like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. He would make birds appear out of nowhere. He would make things disappear and things reappear and things show up in Keishla's pocket when she's not, it had nothing to do with the trick. It's crazy stuff. And I remember being there and I was like, man, this is awesome. And afterwards, he would say, thank you very much. And everyone would clap, and they would scatter their own way. But I would linger, and I would hang around. Not because I wanted to buy anything, but because I wanted to see more. I wanted to see more stuff, because for me, I, no, that's not really true. How could a bird come out of nowhere? For me, I didn't believe better because I saw it. I became more cynical. Like I said, there's got to be a way to figure this out. I'm going to stick around for the next group to come around. And so I hung out, not close, or else he would ask me to buy something. But I just kind of lingered a little bit outside of the place, waited for enough crowd to come, and then I would scoot up so I could get a front row seat for another miracle, for another magic trick, for more. Because I just wanted to see more. He's saying, this is what the people of Galilee were like also. You're not following because you want to follow me. You're not following because you actually want to pay the price and follow me. You just want to see what I've got. That's all. You're not driven by need. You're driven by wants. And you guys are just seeking a sign. And you know what? A sign is never going to lead to belief. It's not. You guys are just seeking a whole bunch of signs. Haven't we prayed like that before? God, if only you would give me this, then I'll follow you. If only I get into this school. If only I get this job. If only this girl goes to prom with me. If only whatever it is, this thing happens. This answer to prayer happens. Then I'll follow you. And God gives that to us. How long does that last? Honestly. A week, two weeks, a month. And then we start rationalizing. Maybe, um, maybe it was bound to happen anyway. Maybe it wasn't really God. Maybe, I'll, let, me just, let me just pray another thing and say, God, show me this thing. 
Do this one. It's always, what have you done for me lately? We become addicted not to Jesus. We become addicted to signs and answers to prayer. That's why Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not going to do it because that's, that's all you want. Signs are only good so long as they lead us to the thing to which it points. So we invite someone to church on Sunday. Yeah, once you pull on the Davenport, you'll see a sign. Says Harvest, Korean Presbyterian Church of Orlando. What would it be like if everyone congregated around that sign and started staring at the sign? Oh, I love the lettering. Oh my gosh, what font is this? What do you think the size is? You think they used an X-Acto knife? You think they used a computer? Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I wonder if they can make more signs like this. Can they write a sign with my name in it? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they never set foot into the place that the sign was pointing to. That would be silly, wouldn't it? That's what the people of Galilee were doing. We just want to see a sign. We don't want you, Jesus. We don't want your kingdom. We don't want to follow you. We just want the sign. That's it. You know how you know? You know how you know that you're following Jesus for his sake and not for what he gives? We trust him and we follow him without condition. Not Jesus, if you give me this, then I'll believe in you. Or if I get that, then I'll believe in you. If this person gets changed, I'll believe in you. If this prayer gets answered, I'll believe in you. It's even in the absence of signs. This guy comes and he says, listen, Jesus, come with me. Begged him to come and heal his son. And then in verse 49, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. One thing he wants. Come with me. 25 miles back. Just come with me. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. And it says, the man took Jesus at his word. You see, it's interesting, isn't it, that the man didn't say, oh, Jesus, just, just come with me a little bit. Or Jesus, can you just give me a receipt in the sky that says your son will be here? So I, I know, just give me something so that when I make this long trek back home, I don't live in regret that I should have tried harder to bring you back with me. 20 miles, even for the fastest runner, the fastest horse, that's not an easy trip. When your son lay dying the last you saw him. It says he took Jesus at his word. Jesus is saying, listen, I know you think, guys, that seeing is believing. But let me flip it around. If you believe, then you will see. Will you believe even in the absence? Will you trust even in the absence of a sign from God? Do you need a sign? Is your faith in a sign or is your faith in Jesus and his word? That's what he's asking and that's what he's saying. Because faith trusts God even without a sign from him. And the last thing that we see. Last thing that we see, we're going to see as he starts going home, what happens. But faith sees that even if God doesn't give us what we ask, he'll give us something better. Even if God doesn't give us what we ask, he'll give us something better. Imagine as he's walking home, what do you think he's thinking? Did he really heal my son? Is my son going to be alive? What is he going to look like? What is he going through? What is he? He's asking all of these questions, 
Verse 51, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with news. So he's walking or he's riding as whatever he's doing as a, as a royal official. And he sees his servants coming. And in his mind, he's got two options. Either they're coming to tell me he's dead. Or they're coming to confirm the words of this man that I just met. Who said your son will live. What are they going to say? What news are they bringing? And he sees that they're laughing and they're smiling and they're running. And they say to him, your son is living. When he inquired as a time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So they tell him he's alive. And he's like, whoa, 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 tell me, tell me all of the details. What happened? Is he, I mean, is he like alive or is he like really good? Well, tell me everything. And they're explaining and he's seventh hour. When did it all happen? And he's thinking, when did I talk with Jesus? It was that very moment that Jesus said, your son will live, that he started getting better. Instantaneously. It didn't take the time from which a messenger could go from Cana to Capernaum. It was instantaneously, and he knew that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus had never met the boy. The boy had never met Jesus. He had never spanned this chasm, but he knew that if God, if Jesus could do this, then he's the Lord of all. And it says, then he believed he and all his household. Let's reset all this for a second. This man goes to Jesus with a dying son. And in the hope that in the 20-mile journey, my son will not die on me when I get to Jesus. In the hope that somehow this man can do something because he's he's gone to every potential source of healing that he had and nothing worked. And And he hopes against hope that maybe he can do something. And so he gets to Jesus. And the only thing he wants, sir, come with me. And Jesus gives him the Heisman. He says, I'm not going to go with you. The one thing that he wanted, the one thing that he just come with me and my son will be healed. He says, I'm not going to go with you. And yet what Jesus does is more than he could imagine. So a, a couple years ago, we were in, in Ecuador and um, we needed to borrow a boat. And so we asked this boatman, hey, can we borrow your boat? He's like, all right, you can borrow it. He's speaking in a language called Quechua. We don't speak it. It's uh, some people that we're with spoke it. And so we asked if we could borrow his boat. He says, you can borrow it. And so we borrow it and we do all this stuff. And then we come back and we're like, thank you. Uh, how much can we give you for it? And he said, just pay me for the gas. Just give me $5. And so we knew he didn't need to give us the boat. And so we said, listen, we're going to give you here. We gave him a $20 bill. And he stared at it. And then he said, I wanted, I just asked for five. We said, we know. This is 20. We want to thank you. That this is our way of blessing you. Saying thank you. And he just stared at it. Kind of perplexed by it. And we said, okay, thank you. You know, God bless you. We're going to go now. And he just likes it. We walked back to our car. We get in our car and he is walking back to us. Like, what's the deal here? And he starts speaking something in Quechua to our driver. And the guy, the driver's like, y'all got a five on you? <laughs> We're like, no, we don't have a five. Why? It's like, this guy doesn't believe this is real. He's never seen this before. He thinks it's counterfeit, so he wants a five. He doesn't want 20. He wants a five. We're like, but 
tell them just tell them just trust us, believe us. We're we're like we're tell them just believe us. Like no, he doesn't want to. He doesn't believe it. He wants he wants his five. So he gave him a five dollar bill, and he went home not knowing that he missed out on a four hundred percent raise than what he wanted because he was so fixated on the five that he missed out on the 20. And we do that too sometimes, don't we? We do that a lot, don't we? God, give me five. I want five. I want five. Lord, I'm asking for five. I'm praying for five. Give me five. And God drops down a 20. We're looking at it and we're like, no. I wanted a five. What the heck is this? God, I wanted a five. I wanted five. How, what, what, a 20? God, take this back. I don't, how dare you? God, I, and then we turn our back on God. We don't believe that what he has to give to us is better than what we originally asked for. This guy asked Jesus, just come with me. Come with me. Jesus said no, because he knew. Because Jesus knew that there was something far better than giving him a miracle. What he needed was faith. He needed faith to believe that a spoken word is enough to bring healing to a son 20 miles away. Because he knew that if this boy gets better, he's going to die again. What good is it for him to die if he doesn't have faith in eternal life? Not only does this man believe, like really, really believes now, not just hope, but he really believes. It says his entire household believed. He just wanted Jesus to come with him so that his son would get better. But instead, what he got, the son got better. He got faith. They got faith. They all found eternal life in Jesus. Jesus denied his one request, but in denying it, he simultaneously answered his deep request and gave him so much more. What good is it to have a miracle when you can have faith that can continue to produce miracles through Jesus throughout your life? Jesus understood. This guy, his greatest need is not sickness. His greatest need is salvation. His greatest need is that his child is dying. His greatest need is that they're all dying greatest need was not the healing of his cells. It was the saving of his soul. Jesus knew that. Just throw out a miracle, wasn't going to do it. He needed to believe. He needed to walk that walk of faith. He needed to believe that the spoken word of Jesus is more important than simply seeing a miracle. He needed to take him at his word, and Jesus was developing faith within him. This is what he wants to do. In you and me too. Not just show me a miracle, God, but he's developing faith so that we could see and see and see. You see, at the end of the day, the royal official became a beggar. Why? How? The son of the royal official was brought to the doorstep of death so that that whole family could be brought to eternal life. You see, at the end of the day, we all ask for a sign, don't we? And God says, okay, I'll give you one sign. I'll give you one sign and one sign only. The Son of God was brought not to the doorstep of death, but he was brought to the point of death so that eternal life could be given to those who believe. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. It's Jesus on the cross. That's how you know that he cares. That's how you know that he loves. That's how you know he's strong. That's how you know he can save. That's how you know. There's your one sign. Take it or leave it. That's all you need. That's all you need.
concludes by saying this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. The first sign, water to wine. The second sign, the healing of a dead boy. The first sign at a wedding. The second sign, on the edge of a funeral. First sign in a time of joy. Second in a time of mourning. First sign, a poor couple. Second sign, a rich official. What is he saying? No matter who you are, rich or poor, young or old, whatever your condition, high or low, sick, healthy, happy, sad, you can come to him because he gave his life for you. He wants to build faith in you so that you too can see the miracle, so that you too can say that Jesus, he's really incredible. Let's pray together. we pray right now just for a moment as we lift up the things in our lives that we may have seen as hardships or hindrances, the things in our lives that may God may be using to lift our eyes upwards before uh, to, to God, to see him, to love him, to trust him, to slow down, to look up, say, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Can we pray for these areas of our lives? And then secondly, can we pray for those in our lives who are in need of prayer, who are in times of illness like that boy, who are in times of need that you know are struggling through different things. And let's name them by name, lifting them up. Pray for our sister Casey that the Lord God would continue to heal her, would comfort her, remove the cancer from her, that she might find peace and rest in her body, the shalom of God, perfect peace of God. Pray for others in our midst, others in our families, going through times of need, that the Lord God would meet them where they are. Pray for yourself, your family. Spend a few moments right now just lifting up prayers to the incredible Jesus who hears us no matter where we are, loves us, he cares for us, wants to build faith within us. Let's pray right now. Just pray for a couple moments in faith in Jesus that he wants to do for us the things that he promised. Let's pray to this faithful one. Let's pray to this incredible one. Let's pray for a couple moments.
heaven, we thank you so much that you love your people and that you gave us a sign for all to see how much you love us. But not only you sent your son into the world to be subject to the same things that we're subject to, not only to live the life that we failed to live, but to die the death that we should have died. Thank you, Jesus, that you are assigned to us of the forever love and care and power of God. So, Lord, we lift up the things in our lives, situations in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our world, amongst our friends, where we need you to graciously come and intervene and show your power. We pray that you would do that for the glory of your name and for the healing and the joy and the restoration of your people. Lord, we don't want to be a church that sees one miracle and we're okay with that. We want to be a people who receive the faith to be able to continue to pray and to believe in you that if we have faith and if we trust in you, that we could see miracle after miracle after miracle, salvation after salvation after salvation, transformation after transformation after transformation for more of you in our lives. So Lord God, grant us faith to see the incredible. Lord, we need you. Humble us before you that out of our place of need, we would come to you and you would fill us with faith. We thank you, Lord God. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.